You're listening to Raising Your Antenna with host Keith Sackheim. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Raising Your Antenna. Blockchain is one of the business buzzwords that has become ubiquitous in conversation, but not really understood by the many who use it. And if asked, what is the primary application for blockchain and its most prominent use case, most would answer that it is a platform upon which cryptocurrencies live. For those who want to buy, sell, or transact using Bitcoin, Ethereum, or one of the hundreds of other cryptocurrencies that are out in the ether, chances are you are using a blockchain-powered platform. But that's not what we're going to be talking about today, because while blockchain may have been developed with crypto in mind, today its promise is far greater and of a variety of births. Much like Viagra that was originally brought to market as a drug to treat high blood pressure, but as is well known, ended up being used successfully for a very different condition, blockchain was developed for crypto, but has incredible utility as a supply chain management platform and distributed ledger system, which enables secure traceable transactions and improved transparency of information to streamline supply chain management wherever it's needed. Industries as varied as car sharing companies where blockchain enables fleets of car owners to see who is driving the car and when, to diamond conglomerates tracking the chain of ownership to avoid buying and selling blood diamonds, and grocery store companies who can track the chain of custody of fresh produce as it travels from farm to store, the applications made possible by blockchain are endless. Blockchain is also a technology that meets the ethos of our times. Around the world, big institutions are under threat as the democratization of news and information has created a desire for distributed systems, decentralization, and greater transparency. Everyone's under pressure to support distributed systems that put more power into the hands of consumers and customers. In my business, we see it with energy utilities, financial institutions, and healthcare providers. Consumers want more transparency, they want more input, they want more power. And blockchain is a platform that enables this decentralization, and as a result, its promise is immense. Today, we are lucky to have Topper Bowers as our guest. Topper is the CEO of Quorum Control, a company that has reinvented the way in which developers build and scale distributed ledger technology. What's great about Topper is that he is able to clearly communicate the use cases and value out of blockchains and transform our understanding of a concept that is much discussed but little understood into a living, breathing organism that promises to transform, make more transparent, and increase the efficiencies of the industries and institutions that all of us depend on. So Topper, welcome. And before we dive into our discussion, uh, please share your professional background and the story of how you came to start Quorum Control. Hi, and thank you for that introduction. That was great. Um, so as you said, I'm Topper, and um, I have an engineering background. Um, I actually um, have kind of a self-taught programmer um, and uh, you know, graduated with an art degree, um, but realized sort of quickly after college that I was going to be much better at the programming side than I was at the art side. Um, so quickly moved into the, to the tech world, <clears throat> and um, from there I've grown um, both in engineering and uh, more recently engineering leadership um, and 
um, I guess, somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, being that this is the um, the second startup that I'm doing. Um, and Quorum Control started because my wife and I moved to Berlin two and a half years ago now. Um, and I took that opportunity to um, start a business, um, which was actually Quorum Control in its initial version was an internet uh, information security company. Um, and I wanted to use public blockchains in that application. Um, and I did a lot of research at that time, um, trying to figure out what was going to work. I tried Ethereum, Bitcoin, some of the more esoteric high-speed chains like Nano, um, which used to be called Rayblox then. Um, and I realized over and over again that the technology wasn't going to work for the business. Um, and so I ended up taking some pieces of blockchain tech and building that into the business, um, but ignoring the public systems. Um, and I always wanted to to use that, so I kept thinking about the the problems and like why it wasn't working for the business. Um, and in December of 2017, had an idea that if we just rethought how how these systems work, um, that there was going to be an opportunity for making a product that was actually usable for what I'm going to call real-world projects. Um, and I use real-world loosely because it could also be software or even something like CryptoKitties, but the idea of things rather than money. Um, and you know, in January, I decided that there's tons of other smart people in this area, and I can't be the only smart guy that's come up with this. There must be something wrong. So I kind of really tried to disprove myself. Um, and then in February, my wife and I had our son, Lyle, um, and so I took the month off from there of actually doing anything. Um, but, you know, babies want to hear the, your, the sound of your voice. And so I just read him white paper after white paper um, on anything I could find in, in the space um, from the real research aspects of it, not just. The, you know, uh, I, I have I have four kids and uh, I think during their formative uh, year, their first year of life, I probably spent a lot of time watching Netflix and, and not really inventing anything. So clearly your use of uh, free time is a lot more efficient and effective than mine mine is <laughs> well you know it was an, it was an idea that i was like really into into um and i've actually heard from other people that um uh, that uh, paternity and maternity leave ends up being um a time where people sit and think rather than um you know having to do stuff all the time um and so, it's, so i've heard a lot of actually other inventions happen around around that uh, time good for so. you all right <laughs> But um, so anyway, I think my son has a, a like at least an associate's degree in consensus algorithms at the moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, in March, I kind of realized that there was something real here, and I tried to bring in um, more of um, you know distributed systems researchers and some like, I'm friends with a lot of people who are really much much better at tech than I am, and had them review the idea and make sure that it was really valid. Um, and by April, I was really convinced um, and started building up the, the current founding team. Uh, Quorum Control actually has five founders, um, which is uh, generally a lot for a business. However, I believe that blockchain is such an interesting industry because it brings together so many different problems that it's not just the usual like business and tech founders can really accomplish what you need to in this business because it's, it's, it's game theory, it's marketing, it's community building, it's tech, and it's finance. Um, and it's probably more things that I didn't even list there. But Start to bring that team together um, in April, um, and started to work out um, a plan for actually getting it to market, building a test net, and getting some funding. Um, and we closed the first bit of funding um, in August and started building from there. 
That's fantastic. And it's not um, it's not a coincidence that uh, you're in Berlin and this is being done in Berlin. I, I was last spring. I went to uh, the Horizon Conference at the Craftsworks building uh, in Berlin. That was uh, one of the most interesting com- in, uh, trade shows I've, I've ever been to. It was, it was a blockchain uh, innovation trade show. Uh, and uh, you, you can probably uh, give a little more context to this. But from what I understand, um, because of the culture of Berlin and, and just the business culture, the social culture, um, maybe some of the just you know, overall uh, kinds of people that end up in Berlin, that, 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 that blockchain itself very much fits into the culture there. Um, and that's why it's become a hub for a lot of innovation uh, in the blockchain world. Yeah, it's really exciting. And, you know, because I didn't move here to start a blockchain business, it's kind of lucky that I ended up here, too. Right, um, right, right. But uh, it's, uh, Berlin has this history uh, in terms of tech of being this uh, hippie, hacker, anarchist culture around tech. Um, there's a really large hacker conference that happens in Germany every year that used to be in Berlin. Now it's moved, but started here. Uh, Chaos Computer Club and all that kind of stuff. Plus, um, oddly, like more cryptographers than most other major cities, I think maybe having to do with some of the technical schools and maybe even some of its East German background too. Um, But um, all of that kind of is perfect for the distributed ledger space or the blockchain space because a lot of the, the talk involves um, disintermediating large corporations or governments, um, providing control back to people. Um, and what Berlin has, which I have not seen in too many other cities, um, I will uh, caveat that I have not spent a lot of time in any of the Asian cities, and I hear some of them, uh, like Singapore, have similar vibe going on. But compared to a lot of the U.S. cities, for instance, or London, um, the focus for blockchain here is really on, like, what can we do with it? Like, what can we, how can we affect the world with this thing? Um, and so even when they're talking about payments, they're talking about, um, you know, universal basic income or disintermediary meeting banks, um, as opposed to what I see in a lot of other cities, which is, you know, how cool is this algorithm or, you know, how can we uh, increase the efficiency of ad distribution or something like that, which I see in some other cities. Um, and so Berlin just has this really cool feel to it about, like, what can we do for the real world? And obviously our project is perfect for that because it's a real solution for dealing with real world objects. So. Yeah. So, so I guess it's suffused with kind of this utopian vision um, that it's not just another area where people can, uh, you know, Make make a make a big buck or or get to the next IPO, but but there's um, I, I guess there 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 is again this kind of social element to it, uh, which which is driving the industry and specifically in Berlin. So that, that's really interesting. Let's start with the basics, um, because again, our listeners um, hail from a number of different industries, all of which certainly are uh, using the word blockchain, probably you know having. Having that as a as an agenda item uh, for all hands on deck meeting as far as product and you know product innovation and, and what 2019 will look like, uh, but I still think that that everybody could use kind of a succinct, um, quick background on what blockchain is, what's a distributed ledger technology, and most importantly, what value does it offer? So you know we see in here its value around decentralization and data mutability and security. But what else should we be thinking about as far as where blockchain adds value to our lives? Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, and for those of us in the industry, it's hard sometimes because we get so down in the details that when you're talking to el- others and you start going into a cryptographic algorithm, it's, it's not very helpful, right? <laughs> um, Ex- except, of course, for your one-year-old son who that would 
make a lot of sense. Right. You know, right. He, big, big, he, he gets that more than he does Dr. Seuss, I guess. So that, yeah, exactly. Sense, right? big, big smiles from him at that point. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, so I, I think the, the big thing to think about blockchain is that it's a trust layer in computing. Um, it is a layer where it can, the system can provide trust rather than a group of, or a single intermediary. Um, and, um, the actual technology, the real innovation, if you boil it all down to it, is a blockchain has created digital assets that cannot be copied. Um, and so you're producing scarcity in the digital realm, which is something that has never existed before. Um, and because you can now create something which there is only one of, but it is still digital, um, you can do all sorts of interesting things um, from money, which is what we, you know, all of this started mostly because of Bitcoin. Um, and then also um, you can start to pr produce a, a provenance of an object. So who used to own it? What is the information about this object? Um, and produce a, an authenticated history um, which cannot be modified um, except by the right people at the right time. Um, so a distributed ledger technology is a, it, most systems work with a group of people in Bitcoin, they'll be called miners. In our system, it would be called signers. Um, and um, they are working on an algorithm which is designed to ensure that no one um, can break the system. And so everyone in the world can use the system um, and there is both a financial and a technical motivation to make sure that it operates correctly. Is that, um, is that a yeah. decent I, I think, enough overview there? I think that's a great overview and, 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 uh, and I think a really helpful um, working definition. And, and, and a little later we'll get into some use cases, which I think you know, combined with, this, with, with your background will be, will be super uh, helpful um, to everybody. But you know, there's a standard blockchain technology that was developed to meet the unique needs and functionality of currency markets and transactions. Uh, but but I know that your business is predicated on the belief that for other applications, there needed to be a different kind of distributed ledger technology in blockchain, and also one that eliminated smart contracts, um, is lighter in terms of the information, the amount of information it holds, uh, and configured for ownership as opposed to currency. And I always thought that it was the smart contracts and the frictionless nature of them and their and their efficiencies that drove much of the value of, of the blockchain and allowed for things to be more distributed and transparent. So, so why did you see it differently? And 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 uh, you know what does that look like? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that well, not I think that, but so every system that's been built so far has been on its base layer modeled for currency. So right. at the very bottom, there's money that's exchanging hands. Now, certain systems like Ethereum um, added smart contracts. So on the on top of that currency, you added smart contracts. And those smart contracts could store data. So people started to model real-world applications. Um, Ethereum likes to call itself the world's computer. Now, smart contracts are actually pretty great for, um, for financial transactions between parties that are trustless. Um, but when you start to get into dealing with real-world objects or something like a supply chain, <clears throat> you end up with a bunch of problems um, when you're actually trying to build a business that uses these things. So 
One, what I realized is that everyone who's writing smart contracts for these purposes is writing the same smart contract. It is who owns this object and what is some data about the object. Now, the way that current systems work, storage on the blockchain is very expensive. Um, I mean, to give you some sort of rough order of magnitude, Ethereum costs roughly $500 per megabyte to stay, megabyte to put on the blockchain. And to put that on Amazon, I couldn't even tell you the number of zeros in front wow. of cents that would cost. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, it becomes prohibitive then. <clears throat> yeah. Um, plus, smart contracts are um, dangerous in that bugs are public um, and can affect actual like objects. And so you have this software that needs to be absolutely correct and you get to deploy it and then people start using it and it has real, real financial repercussions. Um, what we started, what we do at Tupelo is that we model. Again, actual... Just explain the relationship between Tupelo again and quorum control. Cause we didn't, we didn't discuss it. Uh, yeah, sorry. So yeah. Tupelo is the open source and public network that quorum control is building at the moment. So that's the, uh, sort of the brand name of the network that quorum control is a for-profit company building an open, um, an open unowned network called Tupelo. And so Tupelo at the very bottom models assets um, or objects, you know, things, people, things, anything. Um, and those objects have ownership and data about those objects. Um, so who owns it now and who owns it now is allowed to put data into that object um, and who used to own it and what information that they put into that object. Um, and the whole history of that object is authenticated um, now, what's also different about our system is that the, the trust layer that I was talking about earlier is separated from storage. So on something like Ethereum, um, and I'm picking on them only because I, like that's the biggest name, almost sure. every system works the same as them. So um, on Ethereum, you, you know, one of the benefits and one of the drawbacks is that every piece, every transaction and everything your smart contract does, all of that storage is kept on the blockchain. Um, now, what that does is, let's say there's a weather report, or like a weather station in Berlin that's updating its weather report every 10 seconds and putting that into a smart contract. That means that the whole blockchain for everyone forever in the world has this weather beacon report, and that's interfering with you know, Alice's ability to pay Bob. So what our system does is, is separate trust from storage. So what we can say is, okay, you have this data structure. It has not been forked, which means it hasn't been copied or changed. You're not trying to present. You can't present it as one way to one person and one way to a different person. Um, so, and you are the current owner, um, and and all of this data is is available. Now, you can make the decision about what to do with the storage of that. So, if there's information there that should be kept private, that can be kept private. If it needs to be public, it can be kept public. And depending on your application, so you know what you need to do with it. Um, you can make those storage decisions for your application. And there are ways to make sure that it's kept on a blockchain even. Um, there are other blockchains just for storage that you can put it there. Um, but maybe maybe you need to keep it private within a group of people. You can also do that. And so we provide the flexibility that's needed for data. Um, you know, we have GDPR and privacy laws now. Um, and we are one of the few solutions that actually addresses that directly. Great. So, so that's a perfect segue into talking about applications. Mm -hmm. um, for for distributed ledger technologies and blockchain, and you know, putting aside cryptocurrencies, which only a, few, a small minority of, of of the overall population is exposed to, uh, but what are the industries and applications that are going to be early adopters? And, and so that's a. And when I say early adopters, let's talk about 
2019, right? So we're two weeks away from 2019, year of the blockchain outside of crypto, who's adopting it, why they're adopting it, and also how's it going to impact the life of Joe American? Uh, and and what, what I've done in the research that I did, uh, it seems like the financial industry more than most is poised to be an early adopter. I recently read that RippleNet has 11 of the world's 100 biggest banks as customers already. So it indicates that financial services world is serious about blockchain adoption. Is that true? And then who else, again, is going to get serious about it in 2019? I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what the financial institutions do with blockchain. Um, I think there's going to be some that really dive in and adopt it, and there's going to be some that um, really try and hold it back. Um, or build traditional financial products on top, which is uh, sort of anathema, anathema, like say an ETF for Bitcoin. Um, now, <clears throat> so the financial institutions I think are mixed. There's a lot of young companies that want to get on and build these financial structures. And there's a lot of other companies that are worried that they're going to be disintermediated. So we'll um, actively try and um, prevent the spread right. of blockchain. Right. Um, uh, so let's, let's talk about other industries, though, that, that you're seeing, that you're interacting with, and, and maybe you know throw out a couple of use cases as well. Yeah, so we see a lot of, actually, um, from a variety of industries. We have um, automotive, uh, real estate, um, identity, so um, you know bringing identity on the blockchain um, for everything from... In, in the besides automotive, we also have the sharing economy applications, um, and there's been a variety of people that are interested. Um, basically, anything that would benefit from a digitization process that involves more than one party. So, if a company interacts with another party, would benefit from a digital interaction there um, and some sort of data provenance um, or auditability uh, benefits from from this tech. Okay, so let's take the automotive industry. So what would be a use case there? So for automotive, um, you, can, you can kind of picture this future where if a, if a car is coming off the line, they create what in our system it's called a chain tree. So they created a chain tree, which you can think of as a digital twin is a word some people use, which is the ownership of this car. Um, as it's coming off the line, um, let's pick a random car company, Audi says, um, yes, this car is this chain tree. Um, and then as the car moves to the dealership, the ownership changes to the dealership. And then when the dealership sells the car to Alice, um, the ownership changes to Alice. Now, it, what they, along the way, um, information can be put in about this car. So if we go back to the beginning where Audi was creating the car, they can actually have, if their supply chain is on Tupelo as well, the whole provenance of all of the pieces of that car can come into the representation of that car. Um, and then once that car moves to the dealership, Audi can't change that data. So they've said, okay, here is the history of all of those parts going back through our supply chain that ended up moving forward. So we've seen some interest in sustainable um, authentication or certification there. Um, but then also now as the car moves to the dealership, the dealership, there's a record of when it got to the dealership. Um, the car could be updating how many kilometers or miles it's driven. Um, and then once Alice owns it, her records and everything could go into that car. And so when she goes to sell the car in the used market, there's this entire history that goes all the way back from the beginning um, through all of the you know service records and everything like that. Um, and so it makes that car 
more valuable to, to Bob when he goes to buy it or, you know, if she's trading it in, then the whole provenance of every piece of that car is traced. Right. So, so, so I would guess then that if, if, if somehow the car is parked in, in the wrong place and it gets stolen, ends up in a chop shop, and now the car is, is, is just uh, a collection of different auto parts, uh, and then when someone goes and buys those auto parts, they'll know exactly who they're, you know, who they're ripping off, I guess. That works as well, right? Yeah, and that's what's it's kind of interesting is like um, if you put that whole supply chain on, or or even you don't have to start with everything, right? You can start by authenticating pieces as you go. But that's what's kind of cool is all of these different histories of objects come together into one and then move yeah. forward together as one. So yeah, if you break it up, if there's some way to identify those parts with a serial number or something like that, they will. That was all traceable. That would have totally disrupted the Sopranos business model. You know, so it's a good thing it didn't happen in the late nineties. <laughs> um, so, yeah. that, 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 that's that's okay. That's really interesting. Um, Topper, what what are the biggest threats to widespread adoption of blockchain? Is it scale issues, performance, something else? I think there's a variety. So one, I think that, like I said, there's the public systems. Let me step back for a second. One, the hype has not matched reality. We got so far ahead of ourselves as an industry, promising all of these things are possible. Um, you know, everything's going to be on the blockchain, and then you actually try to take your business and you look at how to do it, and the the steps are involved are really hard. Um, plus, if you are on the other side, if you're trying to make something for consumers, um, the uh, a fully decentralized app is really hard to interact with right now. So that we're putting a lot of barriers for consumer adoption. I think some of that usability stuff is going to change. You know, year of 2019, year of the blockchain, I hope that begins for everybody, not just us. Um, but then also for the businesses, they, there's been nothing for them that has modeled real world stuff. Um, and so even like the, you know, CryptoKitties, which is the most popular Ethereum application ever. Um, I guess for your listeners, that's a, a digital collectible, kind of like a Beanie Baby, but online um, or on blockchain. Um, and even they were saying, you know, the, the current systems don't match what they need. Um, and that's, you know, a, that's a totally native blockchain asset. Um, and so we're hoping that with Tupelo, we can have a real option to get started with your you know, data providence uh, projects. Um, and our system is a lot easier to build on. Um, for developers, it feels a lot more like what they're used to rather than learning something new like smart contracts. Um, and the idea is to digitize and digitize and, and add trust um, and to, to move slowly and not promise this like, moment when everything happens at once there's no there's not going to be a genesis moment for blockchain it's going to slowly seep its way into everything okay uh fair enough so you know top we got we have a few minutes left um well, let's talk about the investment environment um and, and opportun opportunistic investors who are hoping to hit the next big thing in 2018 poured money into three let's call them hyped areas uh cannabis mobility, so autonomous vehicles and everything around new transportation, and of course, blockchain. When it comes to blockchain, do you see that continuing in 2019? Is it a bubble? And what's your advice to entrepreneurs and investors in this space, being somebody who not only uh, has founded a company in blockchain, but also successfully raised money in that environment? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of different areas of investment, right? So there's one, um, there's the investment into companies building on blockchain. Um, and then two, there's the more retail side of like investing in the tokens. Um, if it's a bubble, I would say it's probably already burst. 
um, if, if well, you're, on the if token you're... side for sure it has yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um however i think what that has done is actually good for the industry um there are there were a ton of projects that had no real hope of becoming a reality and yet people were putting money into them um that's that's the kind of bubble mentality um and i think that is starting to go down uh, and i think i, that's I a- feel like not to drop it i feel like a bubble burst as it relates to cryptocurrencies, right? And that's, that's that's the Bloomberg article a day in terms of you know how much the value of whichever cryptocurrency it is has 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 you know has diminished in a given day. But I still feel like a lot of companies, when they're going out to raise money, uh, still focus on the fact that whatever their platform technology product is, it's going to be built on a blockchain uh, platform. And in the, and I think they feel that that. Uh, just having that message uh, increases the value of their company, and so I, I guess, the, you know, if, if you can separate out crypto from blockchain, I still do feel like there is somewhat of a of a bubble or, or real value add in being able to talk to having a blockchain application within whatever product you have. And, and I guess my question is, in that particular area, what do you see in two thousand nineteen? Yeah. Um, so I actually I think that'll that'll continue for the strong companies. I do think that there are savvier investors coming into the space now. Um, so just adding the word blockchain to your pitch isn't going to work. But <laughs> if you do if you do have those, so our clients that all the time. <laughs> but if you have a business that is going to be actually uh, distributed ledger tech native, that if you are building a company that's really going to that really uses the underlying systems and it is good for them. I think that's going to be still a very continued investment opportunity. I mean, my theory and the theory of our investors too is that, you know, eventually everyone's going to be on a blockchain. It's going to it's going to happen probably more slowly than what we would all like. Um, but this is not going away. Um, this is a tech that is good for the world um, in in a, in ways that we don't usually see. Right? It's it's great for both individual people and freedom and it's also great for companies and and making money so it's it's kind of a win-win-win um and that and so and i think the investors see that um so i do think that the the hype and like just you know if you have a project that was just going to be a web app and or a SaaS business and all of a sudden you just add blockchain that's not going to help you much in 2019 i would say but um people building real products for real people and real businesses are going to continue to see success i think Okay, that's a great last word uh, for, for kind of the Q and A part of of this podcast. So thank you for that, uh, Topper. You've you've been a great guest, and and I I know and I know this from history uh, that when we do have uh, you know guests that um, are talking about things that people want to understand more and 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 have a lot of interest in, uh, they may want to interact with you and and be in touch after after the show once they've listened. Um, what's the best way for people to follow you, get content from you and your company? Um, you know, are you going to be in any conferences anytime soon where people might be able to meet you or, 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 you know, try to try to say hello. That's a, and then B just any parting words of sage advice for our listeners as we turn the calendar to 2019. <laughs> I don't know about the sage advice. Um, I'll have to think about that for a second. Um, they can find and, and, me. And, and by the way, I guarantee one thing happened to this podcast that you've never experienced before. And that is blockchain being compared to Viagra. Am I right? <laughs> you know, I had a smile on my face when you were saying that at the beginning, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, 
Um, people can find me on Twitter at T.O. Bowers, B-O-W-E-R-S. Um, the company's website is quorumcontrol.com. Uh, we're constantly adding more content there. Um, there is, um, you know, right now a forum to request more information, and we have a white paper and a light paper and things like that. Um, we're still working on our conference schedule, but we tend to attend a, a fair amount of blockchain conferences. So if you're interested, um, you know, we'll probably see you there. And Topper, um, but maybe just just about the white paper. Um, if you just send, you know, after the show, if you send me a link, we can add it to the show notes so people can access it you know, straight from the podcast as well. The white paper is still requires registration, um, but oh, I'm happy to, okay. I'll happy to send you the link to the website and uh, and Twitter and stuff like that too. Fair enough. And any parting words or sage advice? I think 2019 is the year to get your business um, onto a DLT solution that works um, and to think about how you can use um, DLT to make the data of your business more trusted and available. Fantastic. Perfect way to end. Topper, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year's. Uh, and, uh, happy holidays. Yeah, I hope it's going to be a great 2019 for you, for us, and all of our listeners. Signing um, off and uh, hope to see you again soon. Bye. And another episode of Raising Your Antenna is in the books. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to connecting again next week. Raising Your Antenna is a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, Keith Zakheim, that features the movers and shakers and key influencers of the B2B technology industry. Our guests are leading revolutions and disruptions in the mobility, clean energy, healthcare, and real estate technology industries. Raising Your Antenna is brought to you by Antenna Group, a full-service digital marketing and public relations agency that focuses on the B2B technology industry. Please be in touch with me on Twitter at czackheim with any feedback about this podcast. And check out Antenna Group at www.antennagroup.com if your organization is looking for a really smart, and good-looking marketing and public relations partner.